Um, nevertheless, we are, we are in a series. Last semester, we studied um, Acts, and we looked at Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 8, verse, verse 3, and just really looked at how the early disciples engaged the society around them, engaged their culture, how for the first time, they're, for the first time they are living out their faith as Jesus followers, without Jesus around, without any authority figures, and they're trying to figure out what that looks like, what that means for them. Um, and, and this semester, we are going kind of a completely different direction. And for some of you, that might be strange, right? Um, you know, uh, for any group this size, people kind of divide one way or the other over a lot of issues. Some of you are super excited about how the basketball team is doing. Raise your hand if you are. Okay. Some of you don't care. Go ahead and raise your hand so they can hate you. Okay. Will, don't notice. Uh, the, some, of you, some of you are really structured. How many of you study for a test around a week before it shows up? Any of you? Okay, nerds. All right. How many of you uh, are good? How many of you are, are it's like you're, you're doing amazing if you study for a test full stop? <laughs> okay, some of you. <laughs> Not nerds, yeah. Uh, and uh, and, and it's, it's a complete divide. How many of you like to plan out your day before the day starts? Okay, how many of you hate doing that? Okay, <laughs> Laura and Mac, uh, opposite on that. Uh, there's, so many, there's so many ways that we divide, and so I know that when we come to a topic like the minor prophets, that some of you are excited. Some of you are Bible nerds, or you know a few pastors from it, and you're excited that we're going to spend a semester talking about the, the minor prophets, talking about the, these, uh, these 12 books of the Bible that, that are at the end of the Old Testament that are often overlooked, that there's probably sections that you've never read. There's probably entire books that you've never read. I bet most of you have not read Zephaniah. I bet most of you have not read Zechariah. Some of you are excited about it, but some of you find it really strange. Some of you have no clue why we're doing this. Some of you would rather have us had continued acts. Some of you really just don't care. You come here for devos anyway. But you might be wondering, why is it that after spending, um, spending a semester on something that, that is seemingly so relevant as acts, as the acts of the apostles, looking at the early church, early Christians who believed in Jesus, who, who watched Jesus uh, uh, walk on the earth, and now they're going around and trying to talk to other people about Jesus, that seems a little more relevant to us than, than the 12 books of the Bible that we call the Minor Prophets because there's a lot of things in there that are strange. Why are we going to spend a whole semester... By the way, I might have chosen this series just because I like that picture. <laughs> Let's go to the real series title. There we go. Um, uh, why are we going to spend a whole semester looking at books of the Bible that contain passages like this? The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Emariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. Isn't there one more verse? When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of, of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests. Why spend a semester on books of the Bible that has passages like that or, or another one? On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will make you my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you feel edified? Do you know how that impacts your faith? Do you know why all of a sudden this matters to your life on campus? Or again, 
Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what they, these are? No, my Lord, I replied. <laughs> so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Makes sense? Was that your devotional for today? Right? I mean, these are, these are strange passages. And if you're just reading through the minor prophets, you can encounter these, and you might not know what to make sense of them. And I bet for most of you, if you were opening the Bible, trying to decide what to read this morning, you came across a passage like this, you would completely skip over it. In fact, you might go ahead and flip to a psalm or a proverb or flip to the New Testament, because you can make more sense of it. So what point is it in us spending this entire semester looking at passages from books that contain passages like this, that doesn't seem to connect, that doesn't seem relevant, that doesn't seem to directly impact what it's like for you to be a Jesus follower on this campus? Now, on the one hand, I could pull kind of a preacher card and say, well, it's the Word of God. I mean... As, as I was thinking about this, I thought about how quick we are to dismiss sections of Scripture as odd, as irrelevant, and, and we never spend any time in them. And here's what's odd about that. Think about what we believe as Christians. If you're a Christian, you believe that the creator of this world, who spoke this world into existence, that for some reason, through some manner, has left a, a record, a revelation with us, to, to, so that we can learn more about Him and His plans for this world, His plans for us, what He calls us to, what He is like. That's a pretty lofty claim. If Christianity is true, that is amazing. If Christianity is false, it's kind of crazy that we believe that. We believe that these are the words of God. As strange as they might be, as, as irrelevant as they might seem, we believe that these are the words that God has spoken to His people. And don't you think that that in and of itself should be enough of a reason for us to listen to them. should be enough of a reason for us to spend just a few weeks, 30 minutes-ish, uh, uh, every Tuesday night for a few weeks looking at this. So I could pull a preacher card and say that just because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, then we should look at sections of Scripture like the Minor Prophets. But you still might ask, okay, all Scripture is God-breathed, so why this section? <laughs> Aren't there better ones, right? If it's all God breathed, let's land somewhere else. Let's continue doing Acts. Let's go to one of Paul's letters. Let's do a gospel. And I think, I think, um, I think the, the best way for me to explain to you why I want to do the Minor Prophets this semester is, is, is this way. That the Minor Prophets address a problem that is very prevalent in the lives of people who have grown up around Christianity. You see, last semester, we kind of looked at the church spreading out into the world. It's the first time that they had really been disciples, encountering um, uh, their culture, living out their faith. But here's the reality for all of us in this, for not all of us, for many of us in this room, we, we were raised in a Christian culture. We were raised around churches, if not in churches. We were raised around Christians. We're familiar with the scriptures. We assume that we have favor with God. For some reason, you know, because we prayed a prayer, because we did stuff to salvation, or because our parents are Christians and we were raised Christians, that we have a connection with God. 
And because for many of us, we have that history, we have that personal history, a problem arises that we can become so familiar with our faith, so familiar with God, so familiar with the scriptures, that it ends up hurting our faith. I know that might seem weird. And the, the, the easiest way for me to explain this is through talking about relationships. Um, I know that for many of you in this room, uh, that kind of the, the, the biggest thing on your mind when it comes to a relationship is just getting in one. <laughs> um, and I wish you luck in that. I really do. Some of you need a lot more than others. And the, here's, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Uh, so here's, but here's the thing. Um, I, I've been married, this May, I'll have been married th- uh, 13 years, okay? And here's what I can tell you, and I think all the married people in this room can tell you, that uh, it might seem like the hardest thing to do is to get in a relationship, but I can guarantee you that by far it's so much harder to sustain a relationship than get in, get in one, okay? It's way harder. And here's kind of what happens in a relationship that... Um, after a few years or, or a few months or maybe a decade or more, there will come a point where you kind of wake up and you realize that your relationship was on autopilot. And it usually happens like all of a sudden it strikes you that you are having a problem in your relationship, in your marriage. Because you reached a point at some point in the relationship where you just kind of assumed that you knew a lot about your spouse. And you kind of put a halt on seeking your spouse, to know know your spouse even more. You kind of stop trying to learn more about the person you're married to. Or if you're in a very long-term dating relationship, the person you're dating. And after many years, you start to fall into routines and habits that at one point were meaningful. At one point were heartfelt. But now the, the, the date nights, now the anniversaries, now the Christmas, now the words that you say when you walk out, they're not heartfelt, they're not meaningful, they're routine. And all of a sudden, you're in a relationship that because you're so familiar, because you've assumed it, you now think you know the other person. You now stop seeking to deepen your relationship with the other person. You assume things about your relationship and... All the things that at one time were meaningful and heartfelt and you really got into and you planned the date night and you thought about time together and you, and you really wanted to say I love you, see you later uh, to them because you really wanted to say bye to them because you didn't want to leave. All those things become uh, external habits. They become things that aren't expressions of your heart. And when you're in a long-term relationship, am I right about this? When you're in a long-term relationship, you are at least at one point... I remember two years ago, I mean, it really just hit me like a pile of bricks. That because, of my, because of my mistakes, that, that my marriage was not in a good place because of all these things I'm describing. And notice what happened, that it's, it's, it's not that I hated my wife. It's not that we were on, the, uh, on kind of the way to divorce. It's not that we were seeking a divorce. It's just that the routines that we fell into and the assumptions that we made about each other actually worked against our relationship. I thought I knew my wife. But I didn't know her as well as I thought I did. And the stuff I didn't know about her, the stuff I got wrong, was affecting the relationship. I thought that we had fallen into a good routine when all it was was an external routine. Kids will do that to you, by the way. <laughs> Mike and, uh, Mike, uh, Mac and Laura shared um, last, was it last spring? Last spring uh, in our dating relationship series, just at a point 
and, and their marriage where, where uh, Mac was, y'all were in Arizona, right? And you were working as a youth minister, and that Laura was just like, I'm moving back <laughs> to the southeast. If you want to come, you can. Right? In other words, like in every relationship, this happens. You reach this point, and, and, here's, and here's what you, um, has to happen if the relationship's going to survive that. You have to recalibrate your relationship because you're not wanting routine. You're not wanting just to get by. You're not wanting just to assume that you know each other, and really you don't. But everything in your relationship and everything in your assumptions and everything in your routines is kind of pushing you that way. And you've got to take a moment and realize that all the routines we've fallen into and all the things that's happening in our life really isn't calibrated to have a healthy relationship. We need to know each other better. We need to push past the routines and get back to to meaningful, heartfelt um, uh, expressions of our love. And the reason this matters is because the Minor Prophets addresses that over and over again. Do you get that? For most of the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the Israelites are just trying to figure out who God is. <laughs> right? I mean, you get a lot of the Old Testament before you ever get the law. You get a lot of the Old Testament before you ever get anything that looks like the kingdom of God. But when you come to the Minor Prophets, they don't have a lot in common. They're written at different time periods, sometimes it's before an exile, sometimes it's during an exile, sometimes it's after an exile, sometimes they're written in times of plenty, they have so much food, so much money, so much wealth that, that they're just enjoying that and forgetting about God. Other times it's after the locusts have destroyed the harvest and they're starving. The minor prophets don't have many things in common about their situation, but here's what they do have in common. They're written to a people that think they understand God. They're written to a people who have fallen into routines, fallen into habits, fallen into external relationships of their faith. And in the process of that, in the process of thinking they understand God, understand Yahweh, understand what it means to be a follower of Yahweh, they have fallen into a very dangerous place in their faith. They're not seeking God. They don't understand God. Their routines... The ritual worship practices are actually getting in the way of their relationship. You will see times in the Minor Prophets where God just says, I don't even care about the rituals. The stuff you think that matters doesn't matter to me. The Minor Prophets are addressing a people who are in a situation like we are. They've grown up. They know God. They know about God. They, they know memory verses. They went to VBS, right? They went to church every Sunday. Their parents made them go. And they assumed that they understood the God of the Bible, and they assumed that what matters is they went through the rituals. And what the minor prophets do over and over again is they just call the people of Israel, they call the Jewish people, they call God's people, to recalibrate their understanding of God, to recalibrate what it means to be a follower of God. You follow me? See, yeah, there are weird passages in there. But there's also passages like Hosea 11. Now imagine, you think you know God. You think you know what it means for you to be in a relationship with God. And you read this, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down 
to feed them? Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. But notice this. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Now think about hearing that prophecy to your people, to you. You think you know God, and God speaks to you and says that, that my relationship with you is like, it's like a father who, taught his, who was holding his child while he walks. My oldest son turned eight today. Right? I can remember him learning to walk, him holding on to corners, helping him. And the Lord says, I bent down and picked you up. I fed you. The passion, I mean, the, the, the compassion, the tenderness, which the Lord speaks to Israel this time. Notice how that whole passage is meant to recalibrate, to change their view of Him. You think I'm mad with you. Because I'm God, because I'm not a man, I cannot stay angry with you. Because of our history, because you were like a child to me. I remember you trying to walk. God says, I'm not going to give up on you. I can't. Can you hear the emotion? How can I turn my back on you? How can I turn away from you? You, you might have heard incorrectly that the Old Testament is full of, of, of fire and brimstone and an angry God. But here's a God looking at people who have turned away from Him and saying, You don't understand what I'm like. My love for you is so strong, I cannot turn away from you. I will not abandon you. What you're going to see over and over again in the Minor Prophets is passages like that. Passages where God takes people, people who think they know Him, people who have fallen into routines, and He calls them back to what it really means to follow Him. He calls them back to a true knowledge of Him. And I think this is what we need. It was awesome that we spent a whole semester talking about mission and outreach, but I think it's worthwhile to spend a mission a semester listening to a time in which God talking to his people just kind of corrects their misunderstanding of him and corrects their misunderstanding of what it means to serve him and calls them back to a true understanding of him and a true faith some of you are uh, uh, maybe ROTC or hunters when we talk about recalibrating what what does that mean that word is more commonly used with artillery or guns or or hunting Uh, Jackson I see you looking at me no, no, okay. What does it mean to recalibrate? Siding. Do what? So Explain that more. Yeah. And so what, what happens if, if you're not? You're going to miss. You're going to miss. Good. Thank you. I've never hunted. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, so you, you think about this. I actually have never hunted, but I did know. Uh, that that you would miss. Uh, so I mean, think, uh, think think about what this means, right? 
think about this idea of, of, of taking kind of the, the sights and making sure that, that what you think you're aiming at, that, they, that your sights are really aligned so you really are aiming at them, so you're not going to miss, so you're hitting the target. And my concern for, for, for those of us who have grown up around the church, my concern for those of us who are constantly around the Scriptures and around Christians is that it's very easy for kind of our spiritual sights to get out of alignment, right? It's very easy for us to think that, that we're aiming at God, that we're aiming in, at, at a, a, a Christian life, a life of discipleship, a, a godly life, and that we're missing that. Look, some of you in this room, you think that your relationship with God is good because you're involved in a campus ministry or because you go to church or because you know the scriptures or because your parents are Christians and the minor prophets make it very clear that none of that stands for much of anything you realize that, that the people that all this is written to, written to that they're not atheists they're not agnostics they believe in God and they believe that they are God's people and they believe that because they're God's people everything is okay and they believe that because they have the temple or they have sacrifices or they have their prayers or because the scriptures are written to them that they are in a good standing with God and over and over again what the minor prophets are going to say is no that if you think that going to church on Sunday morning, if you think that coming to Devo on Tuesday nights, if you think the fact that you can quote Bible verses quicker than your friends stands for much with God, it doesn't. It doesn't. Their version of church is sacrifices. And, and there's going to come a point, we'll look at this in a few weeks, where God's just going to say, I don't, I don't even care about your sacrifices. That's not what I'm after. I mean, God's looking at some of your lives, and what He wants to say to you is He doesn't care about your church attendance. It might shock some of you. You should come to church. But, but what, he, what he means by that is, it, is that your relationship with him isn't okay just because your butt is in the pew on Sunday morning. Some of you think that things are good because you know your scriptures. But God's going to make it very clear that that's not important. That's not everything. It is important, sorry. Where's your heart for the oppressed and the poor? Where's your heart for mercy? What about you being completely involved in your worship and service to God? Where you give God, you can honestly say you're giving God everything and not just part, not just compartmentalizing, not just the leftovers. You see, what happens, I think, in, 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 um, in those of us who've been around church and grown up with church is again what can happen in a relationship that because you get in the routine of coming to church, coming to Devo, doing all the things that you know you're supposed to do, that that becomes 90% or even 100% of what it means for you to follow God. And that's, not, and that's not true. That's not the case. And some of the harshness of the minor prophets is God kind of making that completely clear to His people. That he's after way more than that. That he's after way more than, than the routines. And the other thing is, it's not just about that, that you think that your, um, uh, that your routines, that your church attendance, all these things that you're involved in is enough. It's that you, many of you, because you grew up in church, because you went to VBS, because you were a superstar in your youth group, that you think you understand God. You think you understand the nature of God. 
You think you understand what it means for God to be gracious and merciful. You think you understand what it means for God to be righteous and just. And here's the thing. So did the Israelites. So did the people that these books were going to look at. That's what they thought. They thought they understood the character of God. They thought they understood the heart of Yahweh. They thought they understood what it meant for God to be righteous and just and holy. And when we talk about recalibrating, it's not just you recalibrating what it means for your life, um, for, for in your life for you to follow God. It means that, that your very understanding of God needs to be recalibrated. Because I'm betting that for some of you in this room, you don't understand what it means that God is gracious. You don't understand what it means that God loves you. You don't understand what it means that God is merciful. And for others, others of you, you don't understand what it means that God is righteous and holy and just. And that God isn't, isn't just looking on with kind of an apathy towards our neglect of the poor. God's not looking on with apathy towards our sexual sin. God's not indifferent to you putting other things in your life above Him. It's so easy for us to assume we kind of understand about God, um, all these things about God, and then, and then slowly it gets out of alignment. And we really don't live lives that reflect the justice, the holiness, the love, the mercy of God. And the prophets are going to call us back to that. Back to a true understanding of God. Over the next um, uh, several weeks, we're going to look at different passages. We're not going to walk through the books of the minor prophets. There are 12. Um, we're not going to go step by step. We're not going to go in the order that the books are in your Bibles. Um, there will be weeks where we do uh, two passages, one from one book, one from another. But what uh, Ben Waycaster and I have tried to do as we put this series together is look at some themes that we can pull out and look at passages. And throughout this semester, we're going to look at different passages from the Minor Prophets where God is pressing on them to recalibrate their understanding of Him and their understanding of their, of, of their faith and their discipleship. And we're going to spend time listening to that because I think that if God thought it was important enough to share that with His people a few hundred years ago, a few millennia ago, that it's important for us to listen to it because we stand in need of our faith being recalibrated just like them. I am going to give you homework, um, but it's homework that I have no way of checking to see if you do it. And here, uh, so that's the best kind, right? I saw some of you be excited about that. Um, next week, we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to jump into this series by looking at Jonah. Um, but <clears throat> there are uh, 80, I think 83, uh, 85 days between now and our very last lesson in the Minor Prophets series. And if you just read a chapter a day in the Minor Prophets from here until then, you'll have read through them one, about one and a quarter times. If you read two chapters a day, you'll have read through it about two and a half times. And if you read three chapters a day, you'll be an expert. You'll have read through it almost four times, right? And so here's my challenge to you. As we spend a semester kind of dwelling in this, we're not, as I said, we're not going to cover all of this. There's actually a couple of books that we won't even get into. We won't even cover any pastors from. Um, and so you won't have exposure to that from us, uh, from, from here. Uh, by the way, I, uh, I'm teaching uh, eight of them. Ben Waycaster, I have no clue where he is. Uh, he, oh, there he is. Uh, ben, our intern, is teaching two, and then Mac Matthews is teaching one. Uh, so the three of us will be teaching this series. Um, we won't be covering everything. So here's one of my, I have two, a two-part challenge to you. Uh, one is that you, you try to read at least a chapter a day in the Minor Prophets, that you, you, uh, if you have a, um, a daily devotional, Make the Minor Prophets a part of that. If you don't have a daily devotional, start one and make the Minor Prophets a part of that. 
The second thing is I encourage you as a part of reading through them that you pray that God helps you to see parts of your life, parts of your faith, part of your understanding of God that need to be uh, recalibrated. Areas maybe where you misunderstand God, areas where maybe your life isn't aligned up with what God wants your life to look like. And that you prayerfully seek an understanding of that. You prayerfully seek wisdom in what needs to change. Because throughout this whole series, the question that we're going to keep coming back to as we study this is are we going to listen to what God is telling His people through these prophets so that our lives are changed, so our understanding of God is deepened and in times corrected. And so that our obedience to God is not just ritualized, it's not just compartmentalized, but it becomes something that, that, that arises out of our love for God, our amazement at His greatness and glory, and our desire to live in His kingdom. I'm really excited about this series. Uh, I really hope that you'll come back every week. I really hope that you'll read the Minor Prophets and pray and kind of seek for God to change things in your life. Uh, let's stand and sing.